0: It's May, 2019. Jane Callahan's phone vibrates. She's received a message. It's from her fiancé, Steve Diamond. They've not spoken in days after lie detector results on the Jeremy Kyle show revealed he'd cheated on her. She's screened his calls, ignored his texts, and turned him away from her door. She's heartbroken. Her phone lights up again. Another text, and another. She looks down. I hope the Jeremy Carl Show is so happy now. They are responsible for what happens now. I hope this makes good ratings for them." The texts keep coming. I bet they keep this quiet. Never, never, never did I cheat on you. Never, never. There's one last text. My final words. On May the 9th, 2019, Steve Diamond was found dead. He died by suicide. On May the 10th, 2019, the final episode of The Jeremy Kyle Show was aired. It was canceled five days later, with all content wiped from streaming and catch-up services. The plug may have been pulled on The Jeremy Kyle Show, but across its 14-year run, over one million people tuned in every day to watch its host, Jeremy Kyle, act as judge, jury, and executioner over people's personal traumas and crises. It was a circus of misery, and the public lapped it up. But what was going on behind the scenes? How did this show avoid cancellation for so many years? And who should be held responsible? Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Leah, and this is a show where we look back at some of the biggest attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subject of our study deserved public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter, because all of them were judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately cancelled. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke (laughs) girlie? Some peasant Coke? No! The Jeremy Kyle Show was the UK's answer to The Jerry Springer Show. It was a daytime talk show described by ITV bosses as, quote, a conflict resolution program on neutral territory with the offer of counseling, mediation, and support following their appearances, end quote. Watching the show, it's hard to see the tense environment as neutral territory, with host Jeremy Kyle provoking, berating, and arguing with his guests. He was abrasive and at times abusive, often siding with one person over another, foregoing neutrality in favor of combat. The Jeremy Carl Show was a blood sport. No guest came away unscathed from its gladiatorial arena. He was seen to be saying things that were on everyone's mind, a popular quality in reality television. Just look at Piers Morgan, for example. Oversimplifying the many reasons for social class divides, the Jeremy Carl Show presented a palatably unpalatable version of working-class people which was eagerly lapped up by its audiences. The show's participants, typically portrayed as lazy, self-centered, and irresponsible, deserved this particular brand of tough love because they were clearly unable to help themselves, right? Kyle's approach furthered this narrative. By taking a clear side in the disputes, he broke it down into a digestible format, good versus bad. Audiences were encouraged to empathize with the worthy, grateful victim who wished to transcend the trappings of their class, and to loathe the aggressor who was holding them back. The show lasted the test of time because it showed viewers what they wanted to see. Setting aside the complex issues which create class divides in the first place, The Jeremy Kyle Show made it simple. It's us and it's them. Some who applied for the show didn't know what they were getting into, but many went in with their eyes wide open. What did they get out of it? Well, in exchange for airing their dirty laundry in public, most participants were offered access to services they believed they desperately needed. Family counseling, rehabilitation centers, mediation, therapy, DNA and drug tests, and lie detectors were all on the table. All they had to do was spend a few hours with Jeremy Kyle. Producers would trawl tabloids for suitable stories, and each episode of the program would end with a little title card with a hotline number for people to call in for the chance to be on the show. Next came what producers called the cell. Eight teams of producers worked long hours, often without sleep, to generate explosive content for the show. It was alleged that the working environment was toxic and precarious. Those who failed to find guests or brought in underwhelming stories were at risk of losing their jobs without notice. Producers were said to badger people until they gave in, sometimes implying that participants were in direct competition with each other for limited aftercare slots. They'd tell people it was now or never and that the offer of the support could be withdrawn. While participants were screened for mental health issues, producers would skirt around illness or fudge the answers to ensure they made it onto the show. Guests were purposefully manipulated in order to drive their desperation to be on the show, as well as to encourage them to exaggerate potential conflict. The line between spoken and unspoken was intentionally blurred to ensure explosive storylines made the cut. After filming, each episode was graded by the chief executives from A to D. Shows receiving a D would typically be low on energy and conflict with guests who did not rise to Jeremy Carl's bait. An A-grade show would be the opposite, with guests storming around the studio, heightened emotions and breakdowns. Each episode's score were put on a leaderboard with prizes for those who consistently averaged high grades and the threat of unemployment for those who skirted the bottom of the board. This culture fed directly into the treatment of contestants. With the goal of creating conflict, producers learned which buttons to press to rile participants up to breaking point. While ITV claimed that, quote, guests were not deliberately agitated before appearing end quote. It is clear that this was not the culture on the ground. Many participants recall being separated from their partners or families prior to the show, with producers winding them up by playing on their fears and suspicions before reuniting them on camera beneath Jeremy's disparaging gaze. In 2007, David Staniforth was convicted of assault after appearing on an unaired episode of the show to discuss the impact of his wife having an affair with their lodger. Having been separated from his wife and riled up by both producers and Jeremy Kyle, Staniforth physically confronted his rival and headbutted him, leaving him with blood pouring out of his nose. Speaking at his trial, the judge explained his decision to spare him from jail, saying, quote, the people responsible for this, namely the producers, should, in my opinion, be in the dock with you. End quote. He continued to describe the show as quote, a human form of bear baiting which goes under the guise of entertainment. End quote. Staniforth was left with a permanent criminal record, he lost his job, his home was repossessed, and he was left with permanent mental health issues. Chris Lyons, who was just 17 years old when appearing on the show, told a similar story. He was separated from his mother from the moment they arrived at the hotel. He was deprived of sleep and riled up backstage by staff before sending him on stage for an explosive reunion. On stage, Jeremy Kyle revealed the results of a drug test Chris had completed. To his relief, they were negative. A happy ending? Not on the Jeremy Kyle show. Jeremy quickly turned on Chris's mother and berated her in front of the nation for being a terrible parent reducing her to tears and causing immense strain on their relationship. Chris later told reporters that the experience had, quote, ruined his life. Also admitting that the test results were false as he'd taken drugs just two days prior to his appearance. It wasn't just the drug tests that were unreliable. Infamously, many segments on the Jeremy Kyle show relied on lie detector results to provide the most shocking and scandalous storylines. While ITV bosses claim that participants were always aware that these tests were not completely foolproof, producers that worked on the show say that this was not the whole truth, arguing that guests were regularly misled. Some producers told participants they were 97 or 99% accurate, and others suggested that they were, quote, almost always right, end quote. In reality, this is a highly contested area, experts place the polygraph tests used by The Jeremy Kyle Show as being between 60 and 70 percent effective, though many others discount them entirely. Many believed that these test results would resolve their issues, providing simple truth in complicated situations. Instead, relationships and lives were ruined on the basis of what would make television gold. This television gold came with the cost of countless lives. After each death by suicide, ITV released various statements which all riffed on the same idea. The participants knew what they were signing up for. But how could they, when producers actively misled, manipulated and mistreated them? While ITV claimed that, quote, the Jeremy Carr show has significant and detailed duty of care processes in place for contributors pre, during and post show, end quote, few participants praised the care they received. That is, if they received any at all. The standard aftercare offered to guests is placed by both producers and participants as four sessions of therapy. The quality of this therapy varied wildly, with young producers tasked with googling therapists local to the participants with little regard for their reputation or areas of expertise. The lucky ones received more specialist care for their issues they'd revealed on the show, but there was little aftercare for the trauma they endured from their participation. Participants recall feeling humiliated, abandoned, and hung out to dry by their episodes, which would continue to air through reruns. At best, the fabled Jeremy Carl show Aftercare was basic. At worst, it was non-existent. Knowing what we know now, we can see the catastrophic failures in care and judgment that led to Steve Diamond dying by suicide. He had gone on the show to prove to his fiance Jane that he hadn't cheated. He was so desperate to take the lie detector test that he'd returned his antidepressant medication to his doctor, asking him for a letter declaring him fit to film as it was quote, a matter of life and death, end quote. Producers saw the opportunity for a dramatic storyline. They were aware of his history of mental health issues, as was Jeremy Carl himself. They also knew he'd stopped taking his medication in order to be part of the show. Before filming, Steve and Jane were kept separate. Producers fired them up, instilling hope in Steve that he could vindicate himself and start a new life with Jane. Steve and Jane reunited on stage, where Jeremy Carl opened the envelope containing the lie detector results. He'd failed. Within minutes, Jeremy Carl was in his face yelling that he was, quote, a failure and a serial liar, and that he wouldn't trust him with a chocolate button, end quote. When Steve tried desperately to defend himself, Jeremy Kyle asked, quote, Do you want a shovel? End quote. Steve was overwhelmed to the point of collapsing, but he was continually being heckled by Jeremy Kyle and his hyped up crowd. He made for a side door to escape, but it was locked. On his hands and knees, he wept. After filming, he was sent home in a taxi. A producer sent a text to their WhatsApp group saying, quote, Just so you know, he's still crying. He just said he wishes he was dead, end quote. Another producer described the day's filming as, quote, one of the best shows they'd produced, end quote. Nine months later, the producer who booked Steve Diamond also died by suicide. The episode has never been aired. Steve Diamond's case tragically exemplified the multiple failings in the Jeremy Carl show. It's hard to argue by any stretch that the program's cancellation was not overdue, but it's also hard to see its wider impact, if any. Recently, ITV have issued a lengthy statement defending the show's selection and care processes and have noted that until the inquest concludes, it would be inappropriate to comment further. Jeremy Kyle was reportedly, quote, devastated, end quote, by his show's cancellation, later revealing that he was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder in its aftermath. He claimed to have been scapegoated by the media and vowed to fight back against, quote, everybody who has thrown their toys out of the pram, end quote. The ongoing coroner's inquest into the events of May 2019 has confirmed Kyle as an interested party, stating that he, quote, may have caused or contributed to, end quote, Steve Diamond's death. Kyle has signed with a new management company and now hosts a primetime radio show. The central, unresolvable problem with reality TV is that the promised land on the other side of whichever television program is a lottery. Some may win, some may lose, and the trials and tribulations people go through to get there are seldom worth it. It's now three years since Steve Diamond died, and we end this episode without an ending. The inquest into his death rumbles on, as does the reality TV machine, seemingly unmoved. When asked how she feels now, Steve's ex-fiancé Jane thinks for a moment, quote, I don't hate Jeremy Kyle and I don't blame him. I can't put the blame on someone else when I feel partly to blame myself, end quote. Who should be held accountable? The insidious culture of reality television drove producers, participants and the public to act in dark, complex ways. What we can say, though, is that nobody was or is blameless. This episode was written by Michael Chakravarti. This is a Broccoli Production.